Building Trust in Government is a monthly podcast sponsored by MITRE and its Center for Data-Driven Policy, informing national policy with objective, nonpartisan insights. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the podcast series, Building Trust in Government, a conversation with leaders in government, industry, academia, and nonprofits about creating outcomes through policy and partnerships. I'm Jim Cook, MITRE Vice President for Strategic Engagement and Partnerships, and the Executive Chair for MITRE's Center for Data-Driven Policy. Today's conversation is gonna focus on agile government, and I'm really pleased to welcome Ed DeSev as my guest today. Ed is a Napa Fellow and the coordinator of the Agile Government Center, a joint venture between the National Academy of Public Administration and the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Ed is very well known for his career in public service, including his role as a special advisor to President Obama, where he led the implementation of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act under then Vice President Biden. Thanks for joining us today, Ed. I'm just delighted to be here, Jim. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to it. Um, so why don't we just jump right in, Ed. Tell us a little bit about what the Agile Government Center is all about. Well, about three years ago, uh, Terry Gurton from Napa, Dan Chinook from the IBM Center, and I sat down and talked about the success that we were seeing in the Agile Government movement, and I'll talk about what that is in a minute, particularly where technology projects started by solving technology problems and ended up moving further into the area of management. Uh, we see that, for example, at uh, the Treasury, where Dave Liebrich implemented the Data Act, but went beyond that and used the techniques of Agile Government, and I'll talk about those in a second, to um, deliver the CARES Act money quickly and thoughtfully. How did he do that? Well, if you go to the NAPA website, you'll see the Agile Government Center logo there. Click on that and you'll first find Agile Government principles. There are 10 principles. And these principles range from leadership to uh, evidence-based government, to teams, to creating teams, to creating networks, to engaging in speed and innovation. But the primary purpose of Agile Government as we define it is at all levels of government, federal, state, and local, uh, project, program, and whole of government levels, we're trying to create better competence in government. You talked a moment ago about trust. We believe, as the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development does, that trust is partially based on competence. Can you get your services, can you get your products from government? And that competence builds increased public trust over time. We believe that that public trust will improve the uh, efficiency of government, but also improve the overall receptivity of the public to government. So that's what we're trying to do at the Agile Government Center. Establish a set of principles, focus on competence of government at all levels, in policies, in programs, and in regulations, so that we can improve trust throughout the, the levels of government around the world. That's what it does. And the Agile Government Network was created about 60 people globally. We have people in the Middle East, we have people in Australia, we have people in Europe, we have people in South America, all of whom are sharing ideas and thoughts about how to make government more competent and more trusted. So the principles that you talk about and this integrated framework for action that you've created to, to, to um, embody those principles, can you talk a little bit more about the role that that can play in helping to identify and developing policies that actually enable greater agility. Sure. Um, we 
talk about development of policies, and we also talk about execution of policies, development of regulation and execution of regulations. The idea here is to simultaneously execute across all of the roughly 15 areas that are in the framework. We start with leadership, strategy, definition of mission. Unless the leaders understand the nature of the mission that they're following, unless there is a strategy articulated that's understood throughout the agency, very little can be done. Um, Bob McDonald at VA some years ago came in and turned the organization around materially. He improved trust from somewhere in the low 50s to somewhere in the high 90s at, at one point. It may have fallen back a little bit now. Bob did it with his leadership team. And everybody knew what they were assigned to do. NASA, if you went to NASA in, uh, in one of their centers, what you found is that people could connect their work to the, what the leader was, was talking about as, as to the mission in NASA. Same thing through his VA. Uh, Bob created in VA a fundamental understanding that you had to move quickly, that you had to work in teams, that you had to work with networks, that you had to innovate. One of his primary innovations was the creation of caregivers who could easily be understood by the people they were giving their care to. He created a point of contact for the veterans in their health system. I talked to one the other day. He said, yeah, he said, at one point, I didn't have any idea who I was talking to. Now I have a single point of contact in VA. That's the kind of innovation and leadership that we're talking about. And, and again, each of the 15 elements has built within it the ability for simultaneous execution, to do more than one thing at once. So that's what we're trying to do. Um, in terms of policies, what we're suggesting is that all policies need to be put through the screen of who are they serving, what, what, who are their customers, what is the public thinking about those policies, what's the public view of those policies. And then as they're codified in law or executive order, we try to figure out whether the results are actually being based on evidence or whether the results are not really clear yet. And we try to codify those results. So the idea, the ideas behind agile policy development are being worked on right now by some, some folks in the university community. We should have a report out in either the final quarter of this year or the first quarter of next year, similar to the agile regulations report that was published in June. It will be the third, it will be the third report um, in a series. So we'll, we'll give you more about Azure policy as we go, but we're trying to get the leaders to articulate mission and vision, and then based on that, execute policies at the department level, at the whole of government level, and even beyond at the international level. So that's, that's really great for, um, for new policies. Are you also taking a look at existing policies to understand the degree of flexibility that already exists, maybe to break down some myths that policy is actually a barrier or hinders agility? Absolutely, and I referred to the regulations report. One of the things the regulations report says is look carefully at what you are empowered to do and take that, that set of empowerment and push it as far as the customers and the public are comfortable in going. So if you could uh, change the wait times in certain situations, if you could have a, a policy that said, no, you don't need to come here five times, you only need to come here once, and you created in the, uh, in the nature of the policy a contact strategy 
that contact strategy, for example, if you did it in, the, in immigration and you cut down the, the nature of the document reviews that were needed appropriately within the existing regulation, that policy would have tremendous impact along with the current legislative structure on the nature of proper immigration coming across the borders. So the examples that you've cited are really great examples. Seems to me that also that the whole experience through COVID is an ideal example that where the federal agencies and federal workforce really demonstrated the ability to pivot quickly. So are you taking a look at that? And if so, how do we institutionalize that? Yeah, I think we start with the idea that COVID was based on networks. It was based on fundamental network relationships with the pharmaceutical companies, the National Institutes of Health in various places, the Centers for Disease Control and the FDA. They didn't work serially and independently. They worked collectively and rapidly on purpose. They knew that they had to move forward. If you read the book Codebreaker, um, it's a book that talks about <clears throat> more the uh, pharmaceutical side than it does about the government side. But if you read it with the overlay that without the government's funding for the initial uh, treatments, the initial uh, uh, clinical treatments that they had, it, it wouldn't have there wouldn't have been a, a COVID response. There wouldn't have been an operation warp speed. We believe in the um, agile government principles that things like leadership from people like uh, Anthony Fauci and, and others, that um, making sure that they knew what the metrics were. We've got to get the drug out quickly, got to get it in people's hands as fast as we could. We've got to build a team that can, can do that. We have to have a set of network connections. We have to deal quickly. We have to deal with speed. We have to create innovation along the way. We have to make sure that the public is involved, the customers understand what are going on. So COVID was an absolute example of agile government. What we can do is we can continue to take the lessons from COVID, show people how things were done and how they can be done better every day. And just to follow on to that, so how do you balance risk in that? Because there's some, some, some risk inherent in making some of the decisions that were made in COVID, for instance, uh, uh, for the sake of agility. How do you deal with risk in your framework? You first start with transparency and fresh air. You let everybody know what's going on. You let everybody comment and be part of the conversation. It's not something done in a black box behind, behind a screen, but rather it's done in collaboration with the public, collaboration with the customers. That's the first way to deal with risk. Other elements of risk are inherent in any program and should be dealt with in the normal risk framework that, that is used. Okay, great. So I'm Jim Cook. You're listening to Building Trust in Government. When we come back from a quick break, we'll talk about how policies that help create agile leadership and an agile regulatory process can also help to build public trust. Policymakers are faced with turning workable ideas into actionable policies. MITRE's Center for Data-Driven Policy delivers objective, evidence-based, nonpartisan insights to government policymaking. We work in the public interest and serve as a bridge across government, industry, and academia. MITRE applies a whole-of-nation approach to our biggest challenges in national security, science and technology, cyber, and domestic policy. At MITRE, our mission is solving problems for a safer world. Discover how at MITRE.org slash Policy Center. We're back now on Building Trust in Government. I'm Jim Cook with MITRE Center for Data-Driven Policy, 
along with my guest today, Ed DeSev, Napa Fellow and Coordinator for the Agile Government Center. Before the break, we talked about the Agile Government Center's integrated framework for action and how that helps create the right policy environment to support agility in the federal government. Ed, what are some of the ideas you have for supporting Agile leadership specifically, and what does that require from a policy standpoint? The first thing is to recognize that leadership occurs at many levels in government. We think about it perhaps as the cabinet, or we think about it perhaps as those people who run major programs with hundreds of thousands of employees and lots of money. So leadership occurs at many levels. If you're out here fighting wildfires, you want your leadership from the National Fire Information Center and the National Fire Coordination Center, which are located in Boise. The interagency fire center is comprised of a number of federal agencies, somewhere between seven and nine, depending on the, the type of fire being fought. DOD has air support, the Bureau of Land Management, the Park Service are all together, all bound together in a single network for leadership. And when you watch a fire occur, we had a fire here in, uh, in Idaho, mm. you watch the individual person who's in charge of that fire build another leadership network that includes local governments, that includes state governments, that includes air services along the way. And they mobilize thousands of, of the firefighters in one place very quickly to do what they do. So leadership has to understand the assumption of risk, the assumption that everybody needs to work together, the assumption that collectivity is always better than individuality. So leadership has to have a new mindset. And I want to underline mindset. You have to think in an agile way. You're not thinking about, I must stay within the regulations when I'm following this wildfire. No, I don't think about that. You think about how can I get all of the resources in the right place, in the right time, because my mission is to put the fire out and protect people. And, and that's an example of collective leadership that can move quickly and can get things done. So you mentioned regulation in that, um, in that answer, uh, and, and that's the next thing I wanted to ask you about. You know, just the words federal regulation oftentimes uh, creates visions of something that's very rigid and bureaucratic. How do you think we should change the regulatory process or think about regulation to be more agile, deliver the best results, and build trust? What we know about regulation, and there is a report that was done in June by the uh, Agile Government Center that is on the NAPA website. Um, what we know about agile regulation is that first, it should involve the people who are going to be regulated. They should be, dis they should be the discussants and how the regulation should be created. That's the first thing we know. The second thing we know is that regulation should be open and transparent. People should be able to see and comment on the regulation in an appropriate way. The, the comment on the regulation should also involve the ability to test various kinds of regulations and what they would in fact um, approve or how they would improve government along the way. The uh, World Economic Forum is working on agile regulation as well. Why? Because the kind of speed we see and change we see in things like artificial intelligence mean that regulations cannot go through a, a process that might take years. They have to be done in months or even weeks in some cases because the world is moving so quickly that regulation has to catch up with it. 
And regulation, again, requires the mindset that we're going to work quickly. We're going to involve multiple parties in networks. We're going to listen to the public. We're going to listen to our customers. That's what agile regulation is all about. It's not new or dramatic, and it can occur at, at a very low, relatively low level or at the whole of government level. And again, that's what we're trying to do in actual government is stimulate a mindset that says, let's move quickly. Let's make sure we've got everybody in the same bus and let's make sure that we don't do anything wrong. If we do, we'll be able to iterate. We'll be able to change quickly along the way. That's another element of actual government. So you've talked a lot about the importance of networks throughout today. Um, do you have recommendations on how the rest of us, Congress, the administration, the private sector, academia, and those of us in the nonprofit community, how can we help? Well, I think things like you're doing today help extraordinarily. But also, I think bringing people together and talking about the nature of the work that they are doing and the nature of the mission that they have and the nature of the vision they have and their values, and then begin talking about well, can we do this more agilely? Can we do this in a way that, again, invokes the agile government principles? So having uh, MITRE, you're an FFRDC, I believe, um, having MITRE reach out and continuously talk about what's going on in a particular area or agency. You know, I worked at HUD. Go to HUD and talk to HUD about public housing and how public housing is currently working and whether it's what, what needs to be changed, how we need to treat the public housing authorities, for example, as partners, as opposed to as, as people who will potentially um, possibly waste money. You, you, might, you don't want to start with that. What you want to start with is we're, we're trying to design programs that will benefit individuals and, as defined by our statute, make communities better. Good. How do we do that? How do we think differently? move away from the current, perhaps, again, I'm using this as a, as a hypothetical example, the current um, heavy regulatory hand to something that treats people as equals our housing authorities, the tenants in the housing uh, projects, and move forward. Again, that's a, a hypothetical example. HUD may be doing a fabulous job. I don't know. But the convening by the miters of the world, the convening by my partners at the IBM Center for the Business of Government, the convening by the National Association of State Chief Administrative Officers. That kind of dialogue is what's necessary. Well, and, and just, to, just to pick up on something that you said earlier, I think, is, that I think goes hand in hand with that, is the importance of bringing evidence and data to the table to inform decisions. Absolutely. Continuously, you want to bring the evidence forward and say, does this evidence support the programmatic objectives that we're trying to accomplish? And do we have the right resources to accomplish those objectives based on the evidence? You then move forward and you test as quickly as you can to see what happened. It doesn't have to be a randomized control trial. It can be a more um, abbreviated, a more thoughtful, a more actual uh, <laughs> set of tests. That's what the private sector does. Private sector tests along the way. They certainly seek comment. They certainly try to uh, do cost-benefit analysis, but they also test as quickly as they can. And if they find a flaw, they feedback. They feedback into the system uh, how that flaw can be created. So we think that in the regulatory environment, that kind of behavior is really important and really good, not just on future regulations, but on current regulations. 
if this regulation is supposed to improve the quality of water, we can test to see if it improved the quality of water or not. We can test repeatedly. Um, and, and, and again, um, agencies have to have that as part of their mindset, that they will quickly look at evidence, look at the uh, implications of the, that evidence, and move in the direction that the data shows them. Mm -hmm. So in a couple minutes that we have left, what's next for the Agile Government Center? Well, uh, I'm glad you asked that question because <laughs> I'm in the middle now of putting together a new report. It's a companion report to one that was done in 2020. The one in 2020 was called The Road to Agile Government. This one is going to be called The Future of Agile Government. It's going to introduce in detail the integrated framework that you talked about. We call it an integrated framework <clears throat> because it goes across all of the elements of agile government. And it says that you need to integrate them and do all of them simultaneously. Again, that principle of simultaneous execution. We're developing stories. We're developing uh, case studies along the way to try to support each of the, the elements. But we're also going to see that there are things that are going to be needed in the future. One I mentioned earlier, we need to create a better uh, agile government framework for policy. And we're in the process of doing that. But the report, the future of agile government, will look at the enablers of uh, agile government. Things like working with personnel, things like data, uh, things like better communication skills. Those are things which will enable agile government along the way. So we'll introduce the framework, we'll look at, we'll look at enablers, and then we'll talk about what needs to be done. Policy development is certainly one of them. But what else needs to be done to promote agile government? We're holding on Friday one of our first um, case uh, examples using customer experience. We're working with FEI, the Federal Executive Institute. We currently have more than 40 people, senior executives, who will be coming in and learning some things, but also discussing, in addition to learning, discussing. It's a full-day event. Uh, our good friend Martha Doris will be uh, our, our featured speaker, but there will be others from, uh, from industry as well as from academia. And we're going to try to leave this group of more than 40 people with an idea of how to agilely implement customer experience, because it's at the core of what we do. We'll also talk about human-centered design and how human-centered design can help the public to become more involved. So the future of agile government is going to be defined as the framework itself, some enablers, and then what, do we, what other work do we need to do? And one of the work one of the items of work we need to do is to fashion a learning network where people can learn about each of the 15 elements in their own way, whether it's uh, a MOOC, we may do a MOOC, massive online, whatever they are. Uh, I'm not very good on MOOCs, but uh, we may uh, develop in addition training programs working with partners. And uh, we would love to partner with MITRE and others to get the word out about how to do agile government better. Well, I look forward to those types of opportunities to work with you, Ed, and work with the center. It was great talking with you today. I'd like to thank you for joining us to share your insights on Agile government. I invite our listeners to join us each month. We have upcoming episodes on biopreparedness and the national defense strategy. I'm Jim Cook, and you're listening to Building Trust in Government, brought to you by MITRE's Center for Data-Driven Policy on Federal News Network. Building Trust in Government is sponsored by MITRE and its Center for Data-Driven Policy, bringing evidence-based insights to government policymaking. Discover more at MITRE.org slash policy center.